Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. A hymn penned by 16th century reformer Martin Luther, To Jordan came the Christ our Lord. This coming Sunday is the baptism of our Lord. As we look forward to it, what connection does Jesus' baptism there, as a real historical event, have with the real historical event of our baptism? What's the connection there? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois, I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, to the celebration of the baptism of Jesus. Pastor Sean Denzer will be our guest. Then it's This Week in Pop Christianity Today. Pastor Chris Roseborough, Fighting for the Faith, is bringing some 2023 prophecies from various self-appointed prophets. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back. Why does the church observe Christ's baptism at this point in the church year? It's a good question. We haven't always, and it's been treated in different ways. In fact, for a long period, in the most recent period, I suppose, in the church, this feast had kind of been forgotten. And in the 20th century, there was a real interest in reviving it, and uh, I think for good reason, because it's such an important event and kind of turning point hinge in our Lord's life. It was uh, originally kind of connected with the visit of the Magi and the wedding at Cana, as kind of the epiphanies of our Lord. And all of these were very important understandings for the revelation of God in the flesh, of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God, the one on whom the Lord has given his spirit. So it was always kind of connected with this close to this epiphany feast. And uh, for a long time in the church, it was actually observed kind of as the octave day. So eight days after the epiphany, which doesn't always fall on a Sunday, it's always January 6th. On the 13th of January, sometimes you would observe the baptism. We find in our Lutheran heritage and the heritage right before the Reformation that it had been in various places or kind of shuffled off to other days. And uh, interestingly, after the Reformation, sometimes they shifted it, not at this point, but right before Lent began as that kind of third of those Jesimatide Sundays. And that has a good sense to it also because then it, it immediately precedes the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, which is how it comes in the scriptures. But the reason we're uh, looking at it here in the epiphany season is because, as we'll see in the gospel in particular, the baptism of Jesus is revealing far more than meets the eye, far more than just what we might know about our baptisms, uh, but something very unique when the Son of God steps into the water with the sinners to receive their baptism, and the Father from heaven discloses him as the Son in whom he's well pleased. 
How does it fit well within the Epiphany season itself? Well, in the Epiphany season, what is Epiphany about? The word means a manifestation, a revelation, a disclosing and a revealing of something that might not have been known before. And the thing that's being disclosed is Christ. God has come in our flesh. But along with that, we have this light to enlighten the Gentiles. You think of the lights coming on, but we even use that expression when, when something is an Epiphany or revelation to us. And so that is what's going on also in the church. This also, especially in the three-year lecture that we're looking at, sets up the beginning of our Lord's ministry. If you look at the course of the Gospels, this event in Christ's life is kind of right there at the beginning, right there when he's about to call his disciples, right when John's disciples depart from him and follow after Jesus instead. Uh, and, and so it, it's a good kind of, you know, I'd say a touchstone, uh, just in the same way that we treat Pentecost as kind of the the kickoff for the New Testament church not to deny that there were Christians, people who trusted in Christ prior to that day, and yet it's a good touchstone. In the same way, the baptism is a good touchstone for our Lord is not in obscurity anymore. He's going to begin his ministry. He's going to begin, in a real sense, his march to the cross. And we'll see that, especially here in series A, we begin with three weeks following on the baptism with the calling of the disciples, with Christ's work in Galilee and that surrounding area among the Gentiles, before we'll switch uh, directly into his ministry, particularly the teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. How would you overview what we're going to encounter in the propers in this coming Sunday? Sure. The the centerpiece uh, for this day, as for most days, when it's an event in the life of Jesus, Christmas, the transfiguration, etc., the gospel reading is going to be the centerpiece. Uh, our gospel reading from Matthew is even the traditional reading that was used for many years in the church. So we get to hear then also uh, what our Lord has done uh, when G Jesus comes to John to receive baptism. In a real sense, then, the event on any of these big feast days tends to overshadow the particular readings. Perhaps a pastor might zoom in on something in one of the readings, but I wouldn't be surprised if what he's speaking about is simply the happening, the event, its broader significance, perhaps tying it to us in our situation. And actually, that's a good way to see the way that all of the propers that we have this year in Baptism of Our Lord in year A really fix it. As we look at the rest of the propers kind of radiating out from the gospel, it does look like they're all trying to grab onto different aspects of, of what is revealed to us in the baptism of Jesus, different parts of his his work for us there. So the spirit is poured out on Christ. That's referenced quite directly there in the Old Testament from Isaiah 42. We see that the Lord is working by his name. That's referenced also in the Psalms. Uh, and maybe the most significant connection is the one that we see in the epistle, which is for us from Romans 6, which, which itself makes the point that baptism connects us to Jesus Christ. Baptism, we consider it a means of grace for this reason. Uh, those who trust in the promise of baptism receive its benefits, which are to join us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, in, in a very similar to way that the baptism of Jesus is connecting us to himself. He's connecting himself to our situation, entering into a sinner's baptism, which at first glance doesn't make any sense for Jesus, just as John says but makes entire sense if he is going to come and exchange his righteousness for our sin, as uh, some of our New Year's hymns have already started to hint at and sing about. Getting into the propers, the intro is drawn from Isaiah 42 in Psalm 2. Read it for us and, and then take us through it. 
Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom I soul delights. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Glory be to the Father, Son, and Spirit. The antiphon for this intro is straight out of Isaiah 42, which is going to be our Old Testament reading also. And here, I suppose you might say in its original context, this is the Lord speaking to Israel, calling him out as his son, that Jacob and his descendants are the child of God, the son that he is raising up. And yet we see uh, their continual failure to live up to that throughout the Old Testament. Thus, a theme we've had already in the church here so far, that Christ Jesus comes as the embodiment of Israel, or another way to say it would be that he is Israel kind of reduced to one man, that the Lord has been chopping off parts of his people all the way through the Old Testament uh, until finally he gets to Christ Jesus, who is uh, a man unlike any who came before him, the Son of God as well. And so then when we hear this, it, it comes off entirely prophetic. And it's matched up then with Psalm 2, which is very clearly a prophecy of our Lord Christ, uh, where even Jesus mentions this later in the Gospels when he's squabbling with the Pharisees and the scribes who refuse to believe in him. And he asks this riddle, which is, which is not a riddle to trap you, but a riddle to find the Savior in. The fact that how can the Lord say to his Lord, or how can David uh, address his son as Lord unless he is the Son of God? So we see that all at work here in this gospel, uh, uh, excuse me, in this psalm, which is full of the gospel of Christ Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult psalm, frankly. We've been praying it a fair amount here at the International Center. And, you know, it talks about blood. It talks about the Lord's wrath. Uh, it says, kiss him lest he be angry. And we don't really like to think of God being angry. We certainly don't want to think about him dashing people into pieces like a piece of broken pottery. So it's, it's remarkable. In this Old Testament understanding, you see that uh, the Lord is destroying the nations, that he's clearing a path for his people Israel. And yet there's already this hint that we have uh, that the nations are to belong to him also. So we see that with the advent of Christ Jesus, he doesn't come to just overthrow the Romans and destroy their empire, but he comes to, in fact, convert, to call out of this wicked generation, both of Jews and Gentiles, all sorts of people who will believe in his name, that will belong to him, that will have the same blessing that's given to Israel at the end. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And this intro then is in great keeping with the broader theme of epiphany, which is not only that Christ is manifest among us for his own people, which I think we get a little more of at Christmas with the visit to the shepherds, with John's glorious uh, exposition parodying Genesis, but here we see the Lord at work among the Gentiles. All these many prophecies about the coastlands, Tyre and Sidon, Zebulun and Naphtali coming to fruition in Christ. Does it have any specific connections to the baptism event itself? 
Well, it's very much echoed by the words of the Father in our gospel. He's going to say, the voice from heaven comes, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And here we hear, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So it's an address of the Lord to his Lord. So I think it was definitely chosen for that. Maybe we should uh, just take a moment to say there is a potential to misunderstand what's being said here because we think of begotten as being a birth or a claiming, or I suppose by extension, an adoption. And sometimes this has been misunderstood to be saying, you know, Jesus was just any old Joe until at the baptism, the father, you know, broke in and said, okay, I'm going to kind of elevate this guy, adopt him as my son. It's a, it's a formal heresy called adoptionism. It's something the Christian church does not believe. But rather, we're recognizing when the Lord's voice comes from heaven at Christ's baptism, he's acknowledging and revealing, get it, epiphany, manifesting to all who are there what has been true from the foundation of the world, but now has been revealed to us in flesh when Christ is here incarnate and among us to do his saving work. How does the collect for the day read? The collect is, Father in heaven, at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, you proclaimed him, your beloved son, and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their calling as your children and inheritors with him of everlasting life through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, etc. So this is a, a kind of a classic colic form drawing on something that God has done in the past. Here it's the specific event of Christ's baptism. And then asking him for his blessings and his gifts according to his word on the basis of what he has done with Christ. Here we see the emphasis on proclaiming him the beloved son, reference there in Psalm 2 as well, giving him the Holy Spirit, for his purposes. And therefore, then for us, we should recognize that our baptism is not only a bringing into his kingdom, it is that we are now his children, specifically that we are his heirs, co-heirs with Christ Jesus, but also that we would consider this baptism to be a, a calling for life. So it brings vocation into it, right? Just as the Lord comes out and calls out for everybody, hey, pay attention, this guy is my son. So also he has called to us and said, you're my servant. I'm going to take care of you and you to act in confidence and boldness because of that. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, The Baptism of Our Lord. We'll get into the Old Testament for the coming Sunday next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life.
All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you're visiting Frankenmuth, Michigan, come to Emanuel Lutheran Church in nearby Frankentrost. A hearty band of German missionaries founded Emanuel Frankentrost in the wilderness near Saginaw. At Emanuel, you can still hear the law and gospel in a beautiful liturgical service, just like those first settlers. For directions and divine service times, visit frankentrost.org. That's F-R-A-N-K-E-N-T-R-O-S-T dot org. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin, and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamel.org. These truths on Jordan's banks were shown by mighty word and Stanza 3 of the Epiphany Hymn, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. We are looking forward to the baptism of our Lord according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Folks, as we begin a new calendar year, be sure to sign up to receive monthly emails from LCMS Worship. These emails contain prayers of the church, lectionary summaries, Bible studies, prayer calendars, and more. Sign up today at lcms.org worship, lcms.org worship. Sean, take us into the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 42, the first nine verses. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them." So I'm sure this reading has been connected with the baptism because of just the first two phrases in that first verse. 
where the Lord addresses, probably kind of in the context of the immediate context of Isaiah's time, speaking to Israel, but finally really only fulfilled and, and come to fruition in Christ Jesus, that he is the servant, the chosen one in whom he delights, and this promise that he puts his spirit upon him, and we see that quite vividly in the account of Christ's baptism. But it also then tells us what the Spirit is for. I think this is this is quite important. Hopefully our listeners know this already. It may be a review, but uh, if not, this is essential to realize that the name Christ is not a last name for Jesus, but is uh, it means anointed one. And it has the understanding that you are anointed for a purpose. So you see this in the Old Testament, for example, when Samuel has to kind of sneak out, right, to anoint David so Saul doesn't know about it. But the point is, once you have the oil put on you, you're set apart for a certain task and uh, you're going to grow into that maybe, or you're going to uh, set about to it. But the point is anointing is a signal that there's, there's work to be done. There's an office to be filled. Christ's office has variously been described as prophet, as priest, as king, and as many other names as well, like shepherd uh, and so forth. But his office is absolutely unique, even though it draws in all of these elements of many Old Testament offices. He is the Christ, the anointed one, bar none for a very unique task. Nevertheless, we have some of it described here, right, that he's going to bring justice again to the Gentiles, to the nations. What's his uh, MO going to be? It's not going to be by coming in brashly, by announcing his presence as a king uh, who's triumphant, but he's going to come in uh, with lenitas, with, with gentleness. He's not going to break the bruised reed and the faintly burning wick. He's not going to uh, become discouraged until he has accomplished all these things, which is amazing. I, I think of all the times we hear Jesus sighing in the gospel or giving some expression to his disciples like, uh, Ugh, it's enough. It just sounds like Jesus is frustrated with them. I certainly, I, I mean, dangerous thoughts, right? If I were the Lord, I think I would be frustrated with my people. And yet we see the uh, this servant has the same character as the father who is long suffering and who is going to fight for his people to the end. He's going to wrestle for them like he did Jacob. And again, coastlands, another reference to the people's the Gentiles. This is the same Lord who created the world, who gives his spirit to all people uh, in the sense of giving us all breath and life. He is the Lord, repetition of his great promise and his name, that his name makes a covenant with his people. And we have a, a foreshadowing of what Simeon sings also, right? That he is not only the glory of his own people, but he is also a light to enlighten the blind. Here then we have passages, frankly, that we've heard already. We've heard these all through Advent, especially in the O Antiphons, especially at other times thinking of John's question to Jesus and his reply that look at how I'm opening the eyes of the blind, how I'm releasing people from prison. So this is the servant and this is the Lord. They are working together on this. And then I suppose finally this last section works really well to talk about what is coming that is going to be different, right? The former things have come to pass, the new things I now declare. What are these new things, the things of the New Testament in Christ's blood? The psalm appointed is Psalm 29. How does it read? Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It goes on, this psalm speaks about, it's very interesting, some of the scholars think that this psalm echoes 
songs of other nations like Canaanite God praises, uh, especially with its interest in waters, its interest in uh, just kind of conquering the world. That's certainly the way we see like a Assyrian king speaking, right? I, you know, whoever I am, I came and I destroyed, I conquered, I, I took no prisoners, I, I made everybody afraid. It's slightly shifted here, though, because it's the Lord's voice in particular is the thing that's doing it. So in a way, it's mocking all of the, the pagan odes to their gods and saying, yeah, our God does all those things too. His His very voice is enough to accomplish it, in fact. But, and here's the real key change, in verse 9 it says, not only does he do all that stuff, but in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He is enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So you see out of the temple it all changes, right? Uh, you could know the Lord in his great terror all over the world. But when you go to his holy place, when you hear his holy word, when you see, quite literally for the Israelites, his glory present above the Ark of the Covenant, it's a different story, right? This is the thing that makes them distinct, that the Lord goes with them in this tangible way. It fits well with our text, since it goes with the gospel, that the voice of the Lord speaks over the waters, quite literally, as he speaks about his son. And then this is the voice of that same Lord crying, glory, behold, I am present among my people as in the cloud, but now with his servant, now with the one that he is calling out among us, it'll be Jesus there in the water. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and we are looking forward to the baptism of our Lord according to the three-year lectionary. We'll go to the epistle next. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, 
we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Spiritual and Religious. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not only does our church need men right now, but the world needs men who will proclaim the gospel in its purity. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Peter Scare, Associate Professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If when you go to sleep at night you're thinking about it, my experience with it is this, is that thought won't go away. So if you're going to bed at night thinking about following our Lord and becoming a preacher of this gospel, then I would love if you could come and visit Fort Wayne, our campus. We'd love to show you around and show you what it is that we do. Have you ever considered becoming a pastor? Contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana at 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Christ-centered, cross-focused, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. There stood the Son of God Imam, His praise to us Stanza 4 of To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. We're looking forward to the baptism of our Lord according to the three-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin. Our guest is Pastor Sean Denzer. What is the appointed epistle for this coming Sunday? It's interesting. Our appointed epistle is Romans 6, a very common and well-known passage about holy baptism in general, or we might say specifically baptism that we have received as Christians. But it's departed from the Revised Common Lectionary, the three-year lectionary on which ours is based. They have a, a passage from Acts chapter 10, where Peter is recounting his story and remembering the work among the Gentiles. And he references how the message began in Israel with John's baptism in Galilee. And then he goes on to talk about how there was no partiality God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him is received by the preaching of this good news of the gospel. So it certainly ties together with the the theme of epiphany in general, but I think it also fits very well with our gospel to see that what happened at the Jordan with John's baptism culminates in Christ Jesus' baptism and then has an effect for all people in him that his baptism has significance for all those who follow him and receive holy baptism. They're brought into Christ Jesus through this, and that's a promise that's for all nations. Our text then from Romans 6 picks up on that and, and is a great passage to show that, how when Jesus says, as we'll see in a moment, it's necessary to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what in the world could that possibly mean? I think Romans 6 is a fine explanation. Here it is. What shall we say then, Paul asks? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace should abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was being crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The heart of this is about holy baptism joining us to Jesus Christ. This is a, a, a teaching that is uh, neglected by many who, who think lower of baptism, who think of it only as an outward sign uh, and not as the powerful working of the Holy Spirit among us through his word in and with the water, as we know from the catechism. What is so, the important part that Paul is bringing out here is that baptism does something. It joins us up. It connects us to Jesus Christ. In what way? Particularly connects us to his death and to his resurrection so that the benefits of those events in his life belong to us as well. There's a real sense then, as we look at our Lord's baptism, that it has to be considered unique. He doesn't undergo it to have his sins washed away. He has no sins. But his baptism, in a sense, makes and inaugurates and institutes what our baptisms are. Just as he is joining himself to us in his baptism, so we are joined to him in our baptism, as this text is very clear on. Maybe also we could say that we look at the broader argument of this portion of Romans, which we see also in this text, that it is connecting also to Christ's fulfilling of righteousness, because we also who are baptized into him grow in this righteousness, that we are growing in love constantly because of this. So we die to sin in baptism, we are raised to a new life, and note the way that Romans 6 actually talks about this new life. It's not only that we will have a resurrection like his at the last day when our bodies will be renewed and made perfect, but also it is this inchoate rising that we see in the fourth part of Luther's small catechism, that we're dead to sin, we count ourselves as such, and thus we rise daily to live as new men, as new women in Christ Jesus. That great word that is worth knowing from the formula of Concord, I think maybe the apology as well, that our love is inchoate. It's beginning and begun and continuing in this life, but never in a sense that if you just try harder or something, you'll, you'll overcome it and won't need Christ anymore. No, this is what baptism continues to inspire by the Holy Spirit and produce in us good works, a life of love, and a putting to death daily of that old Adam that tries to rise up in sin. What's the gradual? Gradual is a seasonal, as all of them are, so this is for all of Epiphany. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. 
bring an offering and come into his courts. So we have a little bit from Psalm 117 and from Psalm 96. And we have the emphasis on the nations praising him. In Paul's uh, Epiphany epistle, we always hear this too, that he recites all these great phrases from the Old Testament, especially from Isaiah and from the Psalms, speaking about the Lord being praised and, and recognized and known among the Gentiles. So in a sense, this mystery that is revealed to us that the Gentiles are fellow heirs is not a brand new teaching, but it's something that's had the veil lifted off it since it was already there in the Old Testament as well. So all nations will do this. Certainly, we see that uh, quite literally and directly in the gifts of the Magi on Epiphany itself. Uh, But this acclamation continues through the whole season. And that brings us to the verse. What does it say? Very simple. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. These are the words of the voice of the Father out of the cloud at Christ's baptism. A very pointed centering on the baptism and what its point is. And I think a good connection to all of the other passages, especially that intro in Old Testament that are emphasizing the Father speaking concerning the Son. Take us into the gospel reading in Matthew 3 for the baptism of our Lord. Here it is. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What would you say about that gospel reading? This is an incredibly rich gospel. And uh, when we get to Luther's hymn on this gospel and for this day, I think we'll see that as well. Maybe uh, the first thing to notice is Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan. Galilee is a place of Gentiles. That's on the coast, or it's thought of being connected with that. Galilee of the Gentiles is a a quotation from the Old Testament also. And now he comes to the Jordan. He goes beyond the Jordan. He goes to the place roughly where Moses would have delivered the speeches and the sermons in Deuteronomy. So a very poignant place. This is the place where John is doing his ministry. We know the rest of that story and we focused on it more in Advent. So the stage is set, in other words. These are cues that say this might be an important moment to pay attention to. And then it all seems to go wrong because John is very hesitant. And uh, I think we should admit, first of all, his hesitancy makes good sense. Of course, he needs to be baptized by, by Jesus. Of course, he needs the gifts of the one who's greater than him. And John has made this a big part of his preaching, right? The one who comes after me, he's the real deal. He's the one who has to increase. He's the one who's greater than me, and I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal. So now... Why should I be baptizing you? Also, as we know, his baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That does not seem to be something that the Savior of the world, the Lord in the human flesh would need because Jesus has no sin. So it's not a 
bad question, but the preventing of it is way off course. When the Lord says something, uh, it's not to be trifled with. Jesus is, uh, well, doesn't smite him, that's good, and uh, also gives him an answer on why it should be. He, he shows him, just as he's always done with John when John has a question, right? Let it happen, he says. And this is necessary, or this is fitting and appropriate, that all righteousness should be fulfilled. That is a, a portent, and, it, and there's no comment here, and I wish there was a lot more comment on what that could mean, right? But, but let, let's think about it for a bit. Christ Jesus comes, and he is numbered among sinners. He does what only sinners would do, and yet he himself is not a sinner. Consider what Isaiah said, right, that the Lord made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's Paul's understanding, and Isaiah says, right, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the sense in which Jesus is coming to identify with sinners because he's coming to be the savior of these sinners. He's come in the flesh. He's submitting even to this, not for himself, but for us. Almost nothing that the Lord does is for himself. All of it is done for us. He needs none of it. So then this baptism also is going to be for us. It's going to fulfill what is right, what needs to be done, what is necessary. That's going to do it in our place, and it's going to give it to us, of course. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. Pastor Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate. He's also a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess in 2023 at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. When we come back, we will talk about the hymn of the day, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. It's finally Christmas. The family is home. The tree is all dressed with Christmonds alone. It's time to reflect on what God has done by giving the gift Christ Jesus, his son. Born of Mary the Virgin to take all our sin by granting us salvation and a new life in him. With angels, shepherds and kings from afar, we find the Christ child by Bethlehem's star. He brought peace to the earth from the Father above and reconciled us with his heavenly love. A very blessed Christmas from Ad Crucem. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. 
If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. The final stanza of the hymn, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. We're looking forward to the baptism of our Lord according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. Sean, you said that you wanted to get into Luther's hymn, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. Oh, sure. Let's do it. This is a, a hymn that may not be as well known to some, unfortunately, but I'd urge you to learn it. We have both an old tune and a new tune in our hymnal. I definitely encourage you to learn the old tune. It's a little more challenging, I admit it, but it's also quite lively. I found that children in particular uh, really take to it fast. So I'd like our listeners to think to the catechism. I hope they know it very well and even know it by heart. And we have those four parts of baptism. Luther's continuing his constant interest in going to the instituting passages for us to learn about what these sacraments are, right? So if we want to know what the Lord's Supper, we go to the Lord's words and find out exactly what it means. If we want to know what baptism is, we're going to have to look at what Jesus said in Matthew and in Mark. Paul is helpful also in his two passages. But here he takes a totally different track, and I think this is really fascinating. His baptism hymn isn't like the other ones that are kind of very similar to the small catechism. This one digs into the story. It recounts it, and it just kind of puts little flags on everything and says, hey, pay attention to this. So, to Jordan came the Christ our Lord to do his Father's pressure to fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized by John, and the Father's word was given us to treasure. Okay, we're going to have to listen for a word from the Father. What's the result of it? This heavenly washing now shall be a cleansing from transgression. And by his blood and agony, already thinking to what Christ is going to do at, the la uh, at his cross, it'll be a release from death's oppression and it'll mean a new life for us. So Luther is setting us up now to consider the story of Christ's baptism and what it inaugurates, what it initiates for all of us in holy baptism. Mark the message well, God has spoken, we ought to believe this. So on Jordan's banks, all the truths of baptism were shown, he says, by word and wonder. The Father's voice came from heaven, and we should listen to it. This one is my son. This is the one who is well-pleasing to be. So listen to him. That's borrowing from what uh, the Lord adds to the saying in the transfiguration. And trust him fully. 
Then Luther expounds on something that is noted by most of the church fathers, that you have all three persons of the Trinity present there. You have the Son standing in the water. You have the Holy Spirit who descends on him like a dove. You have the Father's voice coming from heaven. That's the whole triune God. And Luther says, look at this. If the whole Trinity shows up in holy baptism, what does that mean for our baptisms? It means the whole Trinity is there to give his promises, is there to compel us if we are in any doubt that we should trust him, that uh, he wants to be with us, that he's here to comfort us and, and fulfill all of his promises for us. And how clear is it for us? We are not baptized just with water and any old word of God. But this is the word that is connected with the command and included with it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the whole Trinity is putting his name on us, is giving us all his blessings. Then Luther beams to the end and the passages we know a little better from Matthew 28, right? Go out to every nation, bring them the word and bring them the invitation to abandon sin. Kind of an extended explanation of what teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you in Matthew 28 means. Uh, stanza six is uh, the sort of stanza that tends to fall out of hymns these days. So I'm glad this one hasn't. It's the warning against what if you reject this thing? What if you don't believe it, right? Woe to those who cast aside this grace of baptism so freely given. They shall in sin and shame abide and to despair be driven. For born in sin, their works must fail. Their striving saves them never. Their pious acts do not avail. They're lost forever. Eternal death is their portion. It's just hinted at here, but the idea that baptism is for us a touchstone, something that we can go to so that we have our hope renewed because we have such a clear promise from God. The alternative to not having baptism and having the promises of the Lord to trust in is that in the temptations of the devil, in the moments where our sin and our shame becomes very clear to us, we will have nowhere to look except for maybe our own works that we would try harder next time or that we redouble our efforts, but most likely to then to see that even those doubled efforts still are not sufficient for the Lord. And thus, we're left with nothing. We couldn't pretend and we couldn't actually do the thing either. And that means we'd have no salvation, right? This is the whole point that Christ has come to redeem us. He's come to do what nobody else can. He's come to fulfill all righteousness in our place and to give it to us as a free gift to be received by faith, to be received in his sacraments. Without that, we have nothing to trust but ourselves, and that just won't cut it. The last stanza, just briefly, I'll read it. All that the mortal eye beholds is water as we pour it. So he's speaking about our baptisms now and it doesn't look like much. This sounds more like the catechism. But before the eye of faith unfolds the power of Jesus' merit, for here it sees the crimson flood to all our ills bring healing, the wonders of Christ's precious blood, the love of God revealing, assuring his own pardon. So what Luther's trying to show is just what our epistle really does say today, that we are connected to the death and the resurrection of Jesus by holy baptism. Thus, as in Christ's baptism, the Father said, you're my beloved Son, I am pleased with you. So, on account of Christ's death and resurrection, on account of his fulfillment of all righteousness, when we are baptized, the Father says to us, you are my beloved Son, you're my beloved child also, and you are well-pleasing to me. You are forgiven of your sins. 
I look at Christ and I see you beautiful, covered over, washed away, fully righteous. It's all been fulfilled for you. I think that's, by the way, the the uh, Hallelujah verse for today. Change the words of the Bible a little bit. Did you notice that it didn't say, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased," as the Father said. It said, "You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." That's a change to the Bible. I don't object to because I don't think it's changing the meaning of this scripture at all. But it's drawing this connection that Romans six talks about. Holy baptism delivers something to us, makes a promise, and says, all of the things that are mine, all the things that are Christ's, now belong to you, O Christian. You are the Son of God, a co-heir with Christ, the King in his glory. Could you also say a few words about the hymn that many will be singing, The Star Proclaims the King is Here? Oh, I love this hymn, and maybe you sang it already. Sing it again. This hymn kind of uh, recounts and uh, reminds us of the older tradition that I mentioned, that the Epiphany was kind of this big conglomeration of all these great stories, all these great events early after Christ's birth, leading up to his first miracles in his ministry. But the third stanza is all about our gospel reading and our event today. Oh, within the Jordan's sacred flood, the heavenly lamb in meekness stood, that he of whom no sin was known might cleanse his people from their own. I think that's a fine poem, poetic and simple. It doesn't say the whole thing, but it it echoes everything that we spoke about earlier. This great contrast, right, that the sinless one is in the sinner's place and that he's doing it, he's receiving a cleansing that he doesn't need, but the whole purpose is he's going to go on to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who cleanses his people from all of their sins. And so in a sense, Jesus is standing there in order to bear our sins, in order to be marked for his task, right? He's the Christ now. This is the Son in whom the Father's well pleased. What is pleasing to the Father? It's pleasing that his Son suffer and die for the sins of the world, uh, to shed his blood, to make us also co-heirs with him. So what should someone going into this coming Sunday, what should they expect to hear in terms of the preaching of Christ's baptism? I hope they hear about Jesus first. This is a day among all days where certainly he's the main character. But more than that, the emphasis is on his baptism as a revelation of who Jesus is for us and in that order, right? That he's coming to fulfill all righteousness, that he is uh, the one who is pleasing to the Father, that the Spirit falls on him to fulfill everything that the Old Testament has said about him. And yes, that this has something to do with us because he wants to join us to himself by means of our baptisms. But I think most of all to see how Jesus and his baptism then is what lays the foundation and and effects or institutes, as we said, kind of inaugurates and initiates our holy baptism that we know among us. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you very much for your time. Happy Epiphany. In hour two, it's This Week in Pop Christianity. Today, some 2023 prophecies from alleged prophets. Pastor Chris Roseborough, Fighting for the Faith, will be our guest. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. 
Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to 8th grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road. Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org. You're invited to a special life service Sunday afternoon at 3 on January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Pastor Michael Salamink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life, will be the guest preacher. What does Jesus have to do with life issues? Find out at a life service Sunday afternoon at 3, January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Learn more at sidadvocatesforlife.com. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org.